Well, good morning. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, we're going to continue walking through the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, this morning we're going to look at a, if you grew up in the church or have been a Christian in a while, a pretty familiar passage. I'm going to start in verse 19 when you get there. Some people have made this statement, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. You heard that before? And what is the spirit behind that statement? Yeah, false religion. Exactly. I think you're hitting the nail right on the head. And, and these people who say that Christianity is not a religion, but it's a relationship, they, the intention is right. They want to portray Christianity as not just a bunch of rules to be adhered to, to be obeyed, but there is this genuine, intimate relationship with the living God. But I want to press in a little bit on that and say, in that intimate genuine relationship with the living God that you have through Jesus by the Spirit, is there not also an ethic, is there not also a morality, a code that you must now live by? And so the idea that Christianity is not a religion relationship is absolutely true, but to actually just say it's all relationship and there's no ethical code goes against everything we've been looking at at Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Matthew 5, 6, and 7, Jesus is laying out the ethics of the kingdom. And the beauty of joining these two together is that when you have this deep, genuine relationship with the living God, you can actually say things, which wasn't until maybe 15, 16 years ago I put all of this together that John says in 1 John, that we keep His commands and they are not a what? A burden. The relationship actually fosters joyful obedience. And so the idea of Christianity having a religion, I want you to know it does have a set of ethical codes, but the relationship that we have in Jesus actually allows us to follow that ethical code with joy. And this morning, we come to a passage in Matthew 6 that says this, it's on the screen as well. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In this passage today, we see Jesus turning from piety. The last few weeks, we've been looking at giving. We've been looking at praying. We've been looking at, at fasting. And now Jesus is going to turn in a new direction away from personal practices that we do in our daily life to talk about our possessions. He's going to begin talking about money. And I find this interesting that when Jesus wants to turn and actually begin to talk about what is most central in our life and get our attention to be on Him, what is the very first thing He draws attention to when He wants to set our affections on Him and to combat where, our, where we're putting our treasures? 
It is not by mistake that the very first thing Jesus attacks is our money. I don't know about you, but how many times of day, how many thoughts during the day are consumed, rightly or wrongly, with money? Okay, I'm just going to give you some stupid examples in my own life. I have one car payment left, and I can get rid of my minivan life for good. And so what am I doing? I'm on the, I'm on the hunt for a car. But you know I haven't bought a car yet? Because I don't know what money, how much money I have, and I don't keep a really good budget, and I'm trying to figure out which car I want, and it's always being consumed over and over again at what my next car is going to be. And when I get angry that there's no car out there that I can afford that I want and that will be suitable for my kids, because, you know, do I buy another huge car? Do I buy an electric car that's only for my, that only fit like half my family? I don't know what to do. You know what I mean? So when I get angry at that, what do I do? All right, are there any iPhones in stock anywhere? I don't have my 13. I'm still living on my XS Max, which, if you know me and my Apple idolatry, that's like why it's just crazy. Like, what am I doing? All day long, I'm just, not all day long, but regularly throughout my day, I'm just thinking about money and possessions. How about you? How much time, energy, and thoughts in a sense, rightly or wrong, I'm just asking neutrally right now, do you give in your daily life or possessions? Please note that as we go through this, Jesus is not saying that we must not go about our daily life and do our work with care. As we talk about this this morning, He's not saying that we can't run a profitable business. It is the worldly-mindedness that which He is objecting to. The concentration on prosperity in this world to the neglect of all else. It is not wrong to be rich. It is not wrong to have money. In fact, if you look at the history of Christianity, and Christian historians are actually do, saying this, is that when you look at the beginning of the early church, it was a high upper middle class, upper class socioeconomic movement that the church actually began with lots of rich people, which is why when you look at the book of Acts, they could all meet in a house. Why could they meet in a house? Because people like Mary had a massive house where they could all gather together. Jesus, though He was rich, probably, as I've argued before for you in another sermon, means that He had money. His family had money. And you know the issue is not money, it's the love of money. But also know this, Jesus says it's easier to go, a camel, to go through an eye of a needle than what? A rich man to enter the kingdom. So yes, it is not wrong to have money. It is a great thing to do to be as profitable as you can, to make as much money as you can just for the kingdom of God, knowing that the richer you are, the harder it is to get into the kingdom. Why? Money, believe it or not, was Jesus' most talked about topic. If we want to make a case for Jesus' primary message, yes, it would be the kingdom of God, but the first enemy, the thing he talked about the most, is your money. It's your possessions. Why? 
because there is something dangerous to the hold and the idolatry that is upon our hearts with our possessions and our money. If we have it, money, and we put our trust in it, it will destroy us. If we don't have it and crave it, it will destroy us. Sure, many of us may say in this room, we don't desire to be rich. Okay, but honestly, can you at least at one level say, yes, you wish you were rich? Just be honest. A lot of us like me have just settled with the fact we're never going to be, so we just say we're not going to be. But we still put our hope in the comfortable life. Money provides a sense of security for us. Money gives us a sense of, of power and approval. Moreover, where we put our money reveals what we truly love. What we cherish, we pay for. I, I was talking with my daughter the other day, and I said, I'm not a good dad because if you ask me for something that I love, I'll buy it for you. But if you ask for something weird, no, it's going to be a lot harder to get it from me. So if you want something, just ask for Hydro Flask, ask for something for Apple or these things that I just attach myself to, and I'll freely give it to you. Why? Because you pay for what you love. This is why the Bible speaks to money. He wants us, Jesus wants us to be free from the, the hold that possessions and materialism and money has on our hearts. And Jesus is not out for your bad life. Jesus is not withholding money from you because He wants you to struggle. Jesus is not going to withhold things from you because He wants your life to be miserable. Jesus is asking you to turn your attention away from money for your joy. So Jesus says in this passage, two commands. Do not, there's a negative, and then there's the exact opposite. Do something positive. And what are those? The command is don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. And there's a warning here. This command is strong. Don't do this. And why? It's because moth and vermin destroy. The treasures that Jesus here is speaking to include rich oriental garments, the sort of clothing any self-respecting moth would dearly love to find. I can still remember at a, at a house uh, growing up, opening up a closet and just smelling this atrocious smell. Any of you ever smelled a mothball before? I was like, what is going on with this closet? But this is the idea. They didn't have mothballs. And they put all, a lot of their money and possessions into, if you know anything about the ancient world, if you had purple garments, that was a sign of rich. That was like, I don't even know what the popular, you know, really famous brands are out there anymore, but just if you do, think of that. <laughs> Not Old Navy, okay? The word translated rust or vermin, depending on which translation you have, it's kind of an unclear word, but some translations translate it rust, and it's connected to if you have metals that can be corroded. If it's referring to vermin, they can come in and eat it and destroy it, similar to a moth. 
But either way, the idea is that your possessions are going to be eroded. They're going to be corroded. They're going to be destroyed. So why put all of your hope in those things? And even if it doesn't get destroyed, Jesus says there's another problem. Someone can just come and take it. Any of you use the Nextdoor app? I don't know if you know what Nextdoor is, but I get on there once a month, and the top ten posts are thief, theft, stolen. Watch out for this person. I have a video of someone taking something. And I'm like, this is in my neighborhood? If, yeah, doesn't, if you know me, I go on vacation for a week and leave my front door wide open. Like, I'm like, what's going on? Jesus is saying, even if you put all of your hope in it and it doesn't get destroyed by nature or just by natural processes, it can be stolen. And in fact, you know why I leave my door wide open? Because I probably don't have anything people want. But if you have something very valuable, people are going to come and want that. They're going to dig through and steal it. And for most ancient homes in, in, in Israel, they were made of mud, brick, which succumbed to any thief with a sharp tool. You know, it, wasn't, it was a lot easier to get into a house back then than it was today. In principle, Jesus is saying the treasures of the earth refer to any valuable which is perishable, which can be lost or it can be stolen. The means by which this treasure is lost is unimportant. The point is, is you don't put your hope in it. And he then tells us the exact opposite. Go ahead and now store up treasure in heaven. You know why? Because when it's in heaven, nothing can destroy it. It cannot be corroded. And if it's in heaven, guess who's guarding it? The most powerful king in all the universe, and no one's taking it from you. So if you ever have something really nice, if you ever get a new car to you, the first year of that new car, you like, you wax it, you clean it. After the fifth year and you have 16 kids, it's like, who cares? But the idea that I'm getting at is you put all of your hope and you put all of your energy and you're just worried about these possessions all day long that it's going to get ruined or destroyed or someone's going to take it. And Jesus is saying, if you put your treasure in heaven, there's no more worry. There's freedom to enjoy the treasure that is being stored up. So what does it mean to put treasure on earth versus treasure in heaven? Well, let's ask Jesus himself. And on the screen, I have a, a, a parallel passage in the book of Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, where Jesus gives one example of what a treasure on earth is, and he gives another example of what treasure in heaven is. So let's just ask Jesus what the difference is between treasures on earth and treasures in heaven. The first one on the screen is from Luke chapter 12. It says, A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops, and he said to himself, What should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. What should I do? All of my house is filled up. Ding, ding. Buy a bigger house. Any of you thought that before? Is it wrong to buy a bigger house? Just be, don't, don't feel guilty right now. I'm just saying, it's the same thing today. We have these same ideas. Then he said, you know what? I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger ones. You know why he had to tear down his barns? Because that was his land. 
And land was like who you were back then. You didn't just sell a piece of land and move to a new piece of land. No, this was your familial land that was your property that determined who you were. And so what he did is he just tore down what he had and made bigger ones. Why? Because then I'll have enough room to store all of my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back, enjoy retirement, and say, my friend, you've had enough stored away for years. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Sounds good, right? Next verse. But God said to him, you fool. You will die this very night. And then, who's going to get everything you worked for? And Jesus makes this concluding statement. This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves on earth, but is not rich toward God. According to Luke chapter 12, what is Jesus saying treasures on earth are? Things that can be lost, things that can be stolen, things that you put all of your hope in, and things that are just gone when you're gone. Jesus then later on in the same chapter gives us an example of what treasures in heaven are. He says in Luke chapter 12 on the next screen, he says this, don't be afraid. We could just stop right there, okay? Church, when things come into your life, there's that moment of panic. There's that moment of fear that comes, right? You can't stop that. But then it's a fight not to continue to live in that fear. Little flock. Because your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions, give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What is Jesus saying laying up treasure in heaven is? In that passage, sell and give. The excess that you have in your life, you have the ability to sell so that you can give. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, let the thief stop stealing and go get a job. You know why he says the thief should stop stealing and go get a job? We would say so he could pay his own bills and we'd stop paying his own bills. But Paul actually says something different. Let the thief who steals steal no longer. Let him get a job. Why? So he can give to others himself. Isn't that interesting? Paul is actually saying you work, you have a job, you go to work so that you actually have something to give. And this is what Jesus is saying. We work. We have possessions. It's not wrong to have possessions. But if you really want to store up treasures in heaven, things that will never erode, that you, when you die, can still enjoy. And I want you to know for something, and this is a tangent, and I said I wouldn't do it, but I'm going to do it. Where do you store your money right now? In a bank. Okay? How many of you are going to go to the bank, cash out the bank, and just live in the bank the rest of your life? You're not, right? You're going to the bank, and then what? Leaving. It's the same thing here. We're not storing up our treasures in heaven because we're going to go to heaven and stay there forever. They're just being stored right there for us. Until Jesus comes back and he brings 
us with him and we get the new creation and then we get to enjoy all the treasures that we have stored up in heaven are now going to be brought down to the new creation and we're going to enjoy those treasures forever. So don't think we're going to heaven because that's where our treasures are and we're just staying there. They're just being held there. Knowing they're being held by a powerful king who will not let anything happen to them. Which really means this. That your treasures in heaven are the future rewards in the new world where God will dwell with you for all of eternity. That is your treasure. So, in one sense, we could leave it right there, but we're not. And I want to ask this question, why is Jesus so concerned with where your treasure is? He just said, don't store up treasure on earth. Why? Because it can be stolen and it can be eroded and it'll be lost. And he says, but to store it up in heaven. Why? Because it won't rust or be stolen. But now, why is he so concerned where we store our treasure? The next verse in 21 says this, because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus cares about your heart. Why is he so concerned about where you store up your possessions? Because he genuinely loves you. He genuinely wants your heart to cherish things that will produce life and vitality. When you put your hope in treasures on this earth, it produces destruction, it produces chaos, it produces strife, and Jesus is for you. And he's saying when you do that, the end result is not going to go well. But do you understand Jesus is for you? This isn't Jesus just walking up and saying, guys, stop loving money and start loving the kingdom and give all your money away because that's what we do. No, he's actually saying the opposite. He so deeply cares for that he's asking you. I think that's me. That's not me. But he's asking you to actually trust him. That the treasures that you are storing up in heaven that you can't enjoy right now, one day you're going to. And it's interesting to me, how many of you save up for things over and over and over, trusting in yourself that you're going to get this particular thing and then never get it? You know why? Because your air conditioner breaks. You know why? Because your car breaks. You know why? Because you got 74 kids. Jesus is actually saying, when you store up treasure in heaven, you'll get it. Do you trust me? That I'm out for your good. And Jesus is demanding that his followers be wholehearted. Is in should not, that you and I should not set our minds on anything that belongs to this earth. The materialism which tethers our heart to this world is destroying us in real treasure, but does not consist in material things. Real treasure. Real treasure is found in, the, in Jesus. So, Jesus says this, wherever your treasure is, there will your heart be also. 
He's for your heart. He wants you to have a, a treasure that brings joy and, and meaning to you. But in verse 24, Jesus then says this. You cannot serve God and money. The reason you need to choose treasures on earth or treasures in heaven is because you can't have both. This is what sucks. How many of you want both? How many of you want the best full life now and the best full life in the future? If we're honest, just, we'd all be like, yeah, that's me. And here's the absolute dichotomy. Here's what's mutually exclusive. Money and the kingdom of God are mutually exclusive. And this is what plagues us as disciples. We want our cake and eat it too. We want our toe dipped in the pool of treasures on this earth. We want the best of both worlds. But you can't serve God and you can't serve money. You will serve one or the other. Don't fool yourself. If God is God, follow God. If Baal is Baal, follow Baal. What does it mean to serve God and serve money? Well, let's just say this. Let's just start with serving money. What does it mean to serve money? I'm going to say this. And if you disagree with me, I want you to raise your hand just because not to, well, make sure we're all on the same page. To serve money means to calculate your behaviors, calculate your life, and then determine how much, uh, how much, how you can maximize your money, what benefits money can do for you. So to serve money is to have this continual ongoing thing in your mind and your heart of how I can calculate to get the most out of my money. What is the thing that my money can do for me? Right? Would you say that's one way to say that's how we serve money, a definition of serving money? If we're going to keep that same definition and actually transition now what it means to serve God, we would say this. Do everything you do, calculate all the benefits to maximize the pleasures you can get from God. See, I began thinking this week as I've been processing this in my own heart and life is like, if I would stop consuming my heart with what next car I get and what next phone I get and what I'm going to do with this money and, and some guy in Washington just keeps sending me big thousand dollar checks. I don't know what to do with it. I'm probably saving for, I don't, I have a money that I'm like, I don't know what to do with. I got to spend it. I'm like my son who gets money and it's gone because it's consuming but what if my mind and my hearts were constantly thinking about the pleasures and the joy that God could give me? God is for your joy. He wants you to get as much joy as you can. And he's asking you to find your treasure in him. So you may say to yourself, well, how do I, how do I change my treasure? How do I stop putting all of my trust in money and begin to put my trust in the kingdom of God, right? I mean, that's, that's the question, right? And I want you to know, like, there's no easy answer. If there is a checklist of how to transition your heart from one thing to another, 
How many of you would be following that checklist every day? But no checklist is going to do it. Because at the root of the transformation of your heart is a mystery. It is God doing the work. And you can't force God to work. But you know what you can do? Is you can understand that God primarily works in certain ways. Now, God can, you know, strike down a light, blind you, send you down a street, can't see anymore, and all of a sudden you're just like completely a different person. The Apostle Paul, right? He can do that. But is that how God normally saves people? Any of you see a big bright light on the way to Damascus and all of a sudden you're like, okay, I'll stop killing all of your people and I'll just go actually tell everyone else. Anyone else have that, 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 that um, manifestation yet? Can God do that to you? Can God just snap his finger and take away your love for money and put a love for the kingdom of God in fully? Man, he could. But that's not how God normally works. What is God's normal mode of operation for the transformation of our hearts, for our character to be changed into the image of Jesus? I would say that it's this. I used this, this analogy yesterday. It's like a, it's like a farmer. He goes out and he, and he, like, tills the field and he gets the rows ready, right? He's doing all of the work. He's throwing the seed in. Can he make that seed grow? He can't, but he's doing all the necessary work to allow that seed to have a chance to grow. So if you want to transition your heart from, from one thing to another, you've got to put the work in, in the sense that we need to be around God's people. You know what shapes your character more than anything else? The people you genuinely fellowship with. Community shapes your loves in your life, which is why the church is a community around Jesus, that together we help shape each other's loves into the person of Jesus more and more. So when we talk about missional community, it's not because we need an activity to do to keep a church going so I can keep putting food on my table. No, we're talking about missional community because we're people gathered together regularly around Jesus to have our love shaped and formed around the kingdom of God. Secondly, I'd say this. Sometimes you just have to do what you don't want to do. Sometimes you just like, I don't want to give money away, and you've got to give money away. And then you're like, well, that doesn't matter because you told me in foundations class that if I do things for the wrong reason, then that's still sin. So I might as well just keep my money because it'll be better for me. And I want you to know, no, when you know what is right to do and you don't feel the joy of the gospel in doing it, what do you do? I would encourage you to keep doing what is right. And as you're doing right, repenting to God, saying, I know my heart is wrong and please change it. And God, help me to actually be able to sell my possessions and give them away because you are enough. Help me to be able to give away my money this week because you are my true prize. One of the ways that the love of Jesus is shaped in our life is actually as we do things we don't want to do and as we're doing them, crying out to God to change us. And so Jesus is saying if you're going to be a citizen of the kingdom of God, 
It's going to be a citizen who puts his trust and his hope and his treasures in a place where I'm going to guard them and protect them, and no one's going to take them. And when you have lived out your life of selling everything and showing that Jesus is all-sufficient, and I bring you home and bring you to the new world, all of those treasures that have been stored up there, you're going to enjoy for all of eternity. And when that penny drops you'll give away your money. You'll sell your possessions. You'll be able to be free from the love of money. And Paul says this in 1 Timothy 6. He says, Timothy, charge the rich to give their money away because then they'll experience life that is truly life. I love that phrase. We think life is found in money, and Paul says life that is truly life is giving money away. So, Father, help us be people who have the ability to see and to experience what it means to put treasures in heaven. And you give us these commands because you are for us and you care about us and you want our hearts to be molded and shaped by you so that we would actually experience the joy and the peace that the Spirit brings. So, Father, help us, help me, help each one of us in this room to continue to fight against the materialism, the consumerism, the love for money that is so prevalent in us. Help us be people who put our trust and hope in the riches that are yet to come. In Jesus' name we pray.